My name is Catherine Ann Byam, and I'm the host of Where Ideas Launch, the podcast for the sustainable innovator. COP26 is a moment in time that we will remember as either the time that we turned the world around for the good, or the moment, the last chance that we had to make a difference. COP26 has four goals. Secure global net zero by mid-century and keep 1.5 degrees within reach. Adapt to protect communities and natural habitats. Mobilize finance and work together to deliver. Let's see what the initiatives of COP26 will have in store for all of us. Today, my guest is Karen Adams, founder and CEO of Kaya Clothing. Karen made her first garment at the age of seven, having grown up with a black and gold Singer sewing machine in her house, watching fabric come to life in her mother's hands. She marveled at how a flat piece of fabric could be transformed and engineered into 3D clothes worn by the family. At 19, she started a small fashion business. She studied fashion design and fashion drawing at London Central St. Martin School of Art, And later on, she chose the predictable and dependable route of corporate retail, immersing herself on the geekish side of merchandising and analysis. Kaya Clothing represents a return to her earliest passions with a desire to solve some of the sustainability challenges facing the industry in our lifetime. Karen, welcome to Where Ideas Launch. Thank you. It's great to be here. Really great to have you. We share a bit of an origin story. Both our parents were born in Trinidad and Tobago. Can you share a little bit about how your Caribbean roots potentially influenced your worldview on inclusion and equality and all of these things that you hold there? Sure. Um, I always am thrilled to meet someone from the land, you know, where my parents grew up from Trinidad and Tobago and where I'm from. Trinidad and Tobago was very much alive to me because my parents spoke about the place and the smell and the fruits and it felt like home even though I hadn't been there until I was about I think 10 years old. Um, so we're, we, we both um, spring from Trinidad and Tobago and I do marvel that our experiences will be so different in that you lived in the majority ethnically speaking and I've always lived in the minority. So I always am, I always wonder about how that would have impacted my resilience and the many wounds that you inevitably acquire growing up in a sort of systemically racist environment for the most part, not always and not in every way, but it's definitely there and you definitely have to fend it off for your whole life. So I always marvel at what it might be like to be free from that. And, but, and at the same time, you develop your own resiliences, right? So being a you do you have to develop your own resiliences and your identity and your ways of thriving in the world um but I love Trinidad and Tobago so much I mean I've been there I've been there several times it's home from home now and you know having this I I've always regarded myself as as um dual heritage um or even tri-heritage because most of my mum's siblings went to the states so I have a very early experience of visiting there and it's really served to increase my resilience it's almost like I have additional vantage points that most of my peers just didn't have. So I was able to view the world through many lenses um, and angles, and that's only been a power to me. It's interesting what you say, because I think, you know, we can talk about this origin story and, and how how people from the Caribbean who then move here in later life, how they experienced the difference, because it's definitely different. It's definitely different being um, in a place where you're expected to grow and to thrive 
in, in other places where that's not the norm, where you don't have examples or you don't have enough examples of, yeah. of strong black women, for example, being very successful in their careers. Where, where I come from, there are loads of examples of that, even though, you know, I can't say that the Caribbean is, is way in advance in terms of equality between men and women, but definitely the, the matriarch of the family is a strong character in the Caribbean story. So having that has been, I think, tremendous for me, but you're right, I, I only noticed how powerful that was when I left that environment and saw something different. So mm. it, it does have an impact and, and it's almost like you have to learn again, from my perspective, I have to learn again how to navigate this sort of web because it's not something that I'm used to. Right. Um, so it's definitely been a learning curve for me as well. What were the pros and cons of your experiences working in retail, if we move back into the retail setting and how that has influenced today? Um, I'll start with the pros because there were many, many pros. I had come out of fashion. I, I attended a course. This is how it began. I attended a course and the title of the course was Start Your Own Fashion Business. So it, this just shows where I was heading and what I wanted to do. And on that course, this guy was brilliant. He talked about the different facets and career options within the industry and he spoke about merchandising he, he described its function the the analysis and uh, intricacies of the role and he said it was a lucrative career and so the light bulb went off I thought oh fairly low risk to entry and lucrative I'll go that way because <laughs> um, I'd I, by then I had tried you know to spin out my first startup at 19 realized um, the costs were quite prohibitive really because then back in the day you there was no internet you had to either have a shop or sell offline you know to your friends what sort of you know, small groups as I did so it you know I found my inner geek so there's many of me I've got many sides to me I've got the uh designer who loves to create and express myself through through clothing and I love to design um I love analytics and um, I'm always analyzing I see patterns in things on very limited data sets and it, I feel very intuitive about forecasting and my forecasts were always really bang on and I just had an instinct for them which which hasn't left so I kind of walked into another side of me that woke up and I loved my career I loved the pressure I loved the pace I loved the power of it I loved the fact that it was lucrative and I was able to you know buy property several times over move and you know travel but I loved using my mind in that way it was really mentally challenging and very difficult work and I loved it so these were all positives and this really uh, helped my sense of self to flourish. And I found an, another side of me that was highly disciplined and high performing. On the negative side, there are people who will hate you for being great at your job. And then they always tended to fall amongst my peers, people on my sort of rank in the organisation. So senior management, you look across horizontally, they're the ones who are threatened and that's where the danger lies so I had a couple of bullying episodes I hadn't in life found my full resilience and my fight back I just didn't know how to do that my parents were quite strict and they took away the ability for me to say no and to protest loudly which didn't serve me well I have to say so I was a little bit vulnerable I guess to to the sort of toxic people you can find in the workplace but but that's not to say I, I mean I still walked with confidence and uh, effectiveness and so on. So it was more in my inner world, you know. I felt vulnerable in in some senses. I kind of grew tired of it after eleven years. 
of adding millions to the bottom line of big blue chip corporations, many of which have now sunk into that big black hole in the high street during the pandemic. But anyway, I grew tired of adding millions to their bottom lines. And I wanted to do something more purposeful. So I kind of had a spiritual awakening and I wanted to do something for the good of humanity, not just adding dollars to big companies. What do you think brought about your spiritual awakening? Yeah, so a number of things happened in my personal life um, involving racism, involving toxic people that I should have been able to trust. I'm a very sensitive person, so I can't just brush off betrayal or treachery. It, it wounds me deep down. And so that was something I needed to fix internally, you know, to improve my resilience. Although I'm still sensitive, frankly, things still upset me. So I have to guard against what I let into me. I began a search to find out why life hurt so much, why people were so unpleasant. You know, I, I just was so curious and so upset by it. I just went on a quest to find out a little bit more. So I left, I took a psychology degree. I ended up working with vulnerable adults with severe learning disability and epilepsy and it was the most epic journey of my life finding the wonder in different uh, brain types um finding the love there and the personality there it was just the most amazing adventure um and so i entered for a short time the world of child protection and social work which i also loved so there's so many there's so many there's so many of me in here <laughs> and I guess I'm trying to visit them all because I, you can't, I can't deny the musician in me or the carer in me or the psychologist in me or the, you know, the analyst in me I can't, or the engineer in me. I can't sort of deny all of those and just do one thing because I've left everything untapped. The road was longer and more windy than I ever imagined. I thought, oh, a couple of stops and I'll kind of resume, get back into the system and just, you know, um, but it didn't it didn't go like that. And, and um, I guess Kaya Clothing, my current venture, is, is part of that journey. It's, it's incredible, your story. I, I want to ask you, how are you now addressing the sort of experiences and concerns that you've had or the challenges that you've had in the ethos of what is Kaya Clothing today? Ha, right. So I describe Kaya Clothing as my phoenix rising. It, it, you know, this is the culmination. This is where I stop in life and gather up all of me. And Kaya Clothing embodies all of all of those cans, all of those passions, all of those heart desires, all of her spirit. You know, that's all in there. And I designed it. I, I reached a point. So after the child protection social work episode, I started my family. I had my son. Uh, he had very high needs as a child. I had a, a really nice job fam assessing families and because of his high needs, they wouldn't give me the flexibility I needed. So they said, you either come back full time or you don't come back. So they took my job. And that's when I returned to entrepreneurship full throttle because I had to work on my own terms. So th that's where my entrepreneurial journey began. It wouldn't happen now, of course, because we know that work from home can work. Um, but then there was this notion that if, unless you were chained to someone else's desk, you couldn't effectively work. So, so having having taken this entrepreneurial route, I I decided that um, all of me, all of my desires for the world to make it better, to try and bring some love and fairness and justice in the into the entrepreneurial endeavour. This is embodied in in Kaya clothing. So, what that looks like is, um, for example, that I sought to become a B corporation, uh, which which originally the name was Benefit Corporation. It's a for-profit business that it's designed and incorporated to do good in the world and have a positive impact. Um, part of my business model is that with every sale, a proportion is donated to a domestic abuse charity. 
and I've recently partnered with the British Heart Foundation to introduce circularity and also giving to them. And of course, running a business involves all of the, the career skills that I've acquired, all of them. Nothing is wasted. It's a zero waste endeavour. Who does Kaya Clothing target and why? Hmm. You know, I've thought long and hard about this. And in corporate retail, especially, you clearly define your target customer. She has a name. She has a profession and an address right down to the T, and you target her at the exclusion of all others. I'm adopting a different philosophy with Kaya Clothing because ultimately the target audience is anyone who cares about the planet. But in addition to that, it's targeted at people who use clothing to express themselves. So, you know, I think we all do that to an extent. You know, we dress to say something, but some people talk, you know, through their clothes more than others, and they use texture and colour and style and cut and all of these things to tell a story, storytelling, in the way that a dancer or a musician will tell a story through their performance. For some, clothing is a performance and you're, you're communicating who you are. So it's for people like that who love clothes but don't want to indulge in the damage but want something a little bit different and expressive. How are you measuring and managing your footprint and circular model as a clothing brand for people who are purchasing from you? So I only purchase materials and finished goods and um, fabrics that are certified, that have a traceable origin right, right back to the seed in the ground. And that's the only way to be really sure. You know, when I stand in front of people and I say these are sustainable, these will not deplete more than they, uh, they won't take excessively uh, that can't be generated. So when I stand in front of people and declare that, I need that to be bomb proof, uh, to be true. So certification is what I look for. So I, I use um, GOT certified fabrics. So my bamboos and cottons are GOT certified. Um, they're made by a small um, cooperative in India that do a lot of hand looming and they use a lot of rain in, in the feeding of the cotton as it's growing and so on. Low pesticide to no pesticide use. Um, I have bought in t-shirts that have the greenest credentials in the industry. Um, so they're made in purpose-built solar powered facilities and they are fair trade and they are organic. So I go for, I go for high credentials to, um, to offer the assurance uh, what I am trying to balance is the additional cost of doing so, um, because that, you know, until I reach scale, you know, it's, it's more expensive to conserve the planet than to trash it, especially with clothing. But this is this will be true until I hit scale. So early support is vital so that I can get those economies of scale and bring prices to not cheap, but bring them down. I buy uh, Irish linens that are made by a family-run business and they uh, come from Belgium where most of the world's fine linen is, is grown and harvested. Um, so there are special techniques there. Linen is such a beauty, it's such a beautiful manufacturing story. But, you know, it grows in three months. It's fed by the elements. You pull it up by hand. It's called retting. And you lay all these bundles of linen in the field. And then the rain and the sun, everything that nature is, uh, completes that process, decays the outer skin so that you can get to the inside and start combing and thrashing the um, inner fibres that make linen, the flax. So um, I, I love that. I love that manufacturing process of, of linens. This is so really important. I, I really think it's... It's important to understand where, how fabric is made and how, where it comes from. And I think this is an understanding I didn't have before my interest in sustainability, for sure. So it's really interesting to learn this from you, from someone who is a connoisseur, to say, of fabric. 
I'm I'm reading and you know watching consuming content all the time to just learn more and more and more especially about manufacturing and and, and the chemical side to, to really understand the full extent of the damage and the choices I know that leading a sustainable fashion brand is challenging definitely there is no business that is untouched by the movement towards sustainability today because i would say it is now widely accepted that we need to have more than a profit motive but it doesn't mean that things are ready yet so as you talk about you know the higher cost of you doing business in a sustainable way this cost is as a result of the fact that negative externalities haven't been factored in to the cost of doing business the old way and mm-hmm. as those things begin to be factored in, as we start looking at ways to factor those things in, as we build up on things like ESG reporting and looking at wider risks to, to this, the ecosystem, as it were, what are sort of the, the sort of challenges you've overcome already that you want to share and talk about with, with others who might be on this journey as well? Um, because sustainability is still fringe, I would class it as fringe. And the reason I'd class it as fringe is because it's you have to search hard to find sustainable materials that stand up to scrutiny. You know, I, I have to search hard to find the threads, the elastics, the, the fabrics, the, the, the commitment to sustainability right down the supply chain. I have to seek them out. Um, so it takes a little longer to find your suppliers. If I were unscrupulous and what, was prepared to sneak in a little this here and a little that, I'd be able to move more quickly and more cheaply. So it costs to commit to sustainability in time and in money. So they're the biggest challenges. Having said that, that this, this fringe community is, is growing exponentially and it's such a warm and lovely place because people are on a venture to save the planet and their commitment is just writ large over everything they do. And when you find people where sustainability runs through them. It's just such a lovely place to, to, to find yourself really. Hopeful and optimistic and courageous. And um, yeah, it's like finding the, the warriors. <laughs> I agree with that so much. Yeah. What would you say to other fashion designers interested in making a difference? Oh, I would say harness your courage and do it. And get on mission, get all in, don't tinker around the edges and don't align with any organisations that aren't fully converted towards sustainability. Just, just don't dilute your cause. You have to go all in and your network, you have to surround yourself with people who are all in because if you try and hybrid it, it doesn't work actually is what I found to my cost. Um, because if you network and you harness yourself to people whose values don't reflect your own, there will be a there will be a crash at some point in a cost. So I'd say guard against that. I think that's great advice, to be fair. <laughs> and how can my listeners get involved and engaged and support what you're doing today? Ah, well, um, if, if you like what you hear and you want to save the planet, I'd love your support. Um, you can start with a T-shirt or you can start with a follow. So my website is kayaclothing.co.uk. My Instagram link is on there. So please come say hi on Instagram. That would be great and follow along. Um, If you want to go further, if you want to purchase uh, 
a fair trade organic t-shirt um then please do that um that would be great i'm trying to get a, a mass t-shirt conversion going on because it's such a ubiquitous garment that we all wear so if you just if everybody just swapped one of their t-shirts for a wind-powered fair trade organic one we could uh, so my mission for 2020 2022 is to stop one ton of co2 emissions so if you want to join me on that quest buy a t-shirt and and let's uh, let's you know let's get that counter moving so that we can stop a ton of co2 thank you so much karen for coming on to the show i've really enjoyed this session i think there's loads of great advice i think as strong black women who are courageous and braving what it takes to be sustainable you are an absolute beacon of light so thank you for for helping us to to see our way thank you so much it's been great thank you for having me Season four of Where Ideas Launch was brought to you today by Catherine Ann Byam, Business Resilience and Strategy Consulting Services. Catherine provides business assessments and strategic support to help guide your business toward a net zero future. Get in touch with Catherine Ann Byam on LinkedIn.